0: Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in. You are listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show Crash the UK Geek Podcast for the Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Fan. This is episode 413, recorded on Thursday, the eleventh of november 2021 at twenty-three fifty-one fifty seven. Sorry about that, I had to strain my eyes to see my monitor. Yes, yet another podcast. (laughs) Next week we're back to our normal schedule, but I had some extra stuff and I thought I owed you something, so you had a few more podcasts than usual, just to catch up. ...because of that hiatus. Tonight we are mainly talking about Midnight Mass, but we've got a few other things to talk about as well. We're in the pre-show section right at this moment. I just wanted to say something that I've mentioned before, hopefully this time for the final time. And that is regarding spoilers, and also trigger warnings. From now on, expect spoilers, particularly for the main topic covered in the episode. I don't always have a main topic, but the last three episodes of Crash have had a main topic, and thus spoilers. So ordinarily expect no more warnings, because... Much as YouTubers are fond of saying without further ado, constantly saying that there are about to be spoilers is very, very redundant. (laughs) You don't need to hear me say that every time, do you? Do you? Well, let me know if you do, but I'm guessing not. Do you know what else I hate? Well, quite a lot of things, actually. (laughs) You've heard me rant about stuff before, but the uh, other thing that I hate is that very American thing, and that is trigger warnings. This podcast, the one that you're listening to right now, is explicit. It is marked as explicit at the root level of my RSS feed for this podcast. Every episode should be considered for adults, and I have said that even before i decided to mark the whole podcast explicit, not because I occasionally mention a rude word, but because of the content. I would be crippling this podcast if I made it a kid-safe show. Because science fiction, fantasy, and horror very often has adult themes, so yeah. Generally, probably no more spoiler warnings and trigger warnings. Other than that, how have I been? Well, okay, I've been frankly horrible. (laughs) In all senses of the word and in all different directions. So that's just not me being horrible, but that's me feeling horrible, that's me feeling that horrible things have been happening to me. And just as I said that, my stomach just gave a lurch, which means I'm going to have to take a break for a moment and come back. Sorry about that, I'm just back from a toilet break. I was also listening to a podcast A podcast telling me how our thinking processes may not be that different from a slime mould. Which is both oddly reassuring and slightly disappointing. Yeah, I'm podcasting again. Just before the podcast, I woke up from a nap because I was just so tired. did the washing up. Tried to shake off. Some pain, the season has changed, so I'm guessing that miserable bastard Arthur-itis is back. Ah, <laughs> oh, I remember calling arthritis Arthur-itis for years and years, so now he has become a person. I have made him a person. I'm guessing the older I get, the worse it will get. My arthritis is fairly mild at the moment, but someone should really kick that miserable git arthritis right in the balls. I am waffling. I am waffling an awful amount. Let us move on to the next item, and that is the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle interview. I've mentioned this interview before in the pod, And I may even have shown this to my mother, but maybe she wasn't paying attention. But I showed my mother the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle interview. It was an on-film interview in 1929. Her reaction to this most recent viewing? She said, he's very Scottish. Which is funny, because Holmes and Watson are so English, it is easy For us to forget that their creator isn't. And I'm as guilty of that as anyone. I thought the pre-spiritualism part of the interview as he chats about Sherlock is delightful. And Conan Doyle definitely charms the camera. If he had been around much longer, I could imagine him being a frequent visitor on BBC television. Ah, Okay. Let us move on to the culture section. We're not ready to talk about the main topic today, which is Midnight Mass, but we are almost there. I wanted to chat briefly about the haunting of Bly Manor, This is a horror TV series on Netflix by Mike Flanagan, released last year. And that's significant because Mike Flanagan is also responsible for Midnight Mass. In The Haunting of Bly Manor, after a wedding reception, an older woman spins a tale for the other guests, relaxing near a roaring fireplace in a spooky old hotel... If that sounds great, I'd agree with you, and at that point, I was hooked. The story she tells is about a no pair minding a couple of very strange and grief-stricken children in a spooky old country house. Lots of spookiness then. The show is atmospheric and one of those classic old-fashioned Ghost stories, a horror cozy, if you will, very M.R. James like. It is warming, comfortable as old slippers. My only real criticism is that some of the English accents are interesting. <laughs> And there was also that ever-pervasive idea amongst outsiders to the UK of a quaint, theatrical, though in this case at least diverse, version of merry old England. Usually, these types of things tend to have an exclusively white cast. That at least was not the case. Representation, on the other hand, not so great. Apart from having people of different colours in this, they all seem fairly stereotypically English. Presumably this is because, as with most of Mike Flanagan's work, he is working to a tight budget? As you're going to find out from my review of Midnight Mass coming up in a moment. There are... However, restless spirits, creepy dolls, and witchcraft. So, together with that sense of a traditional ghost story, I found it perfectly alright rather than perfectly splendid. Uh, That's an in joke. It's annoying that I have to explain that, but I do because this is a solo podcast. So I'm bantering with myself. Hello, God. I'm now writing and reading from my own banter in the show notes. And I hate that I just brought up a sort of sideways Billy Idol reference. You're Billy Idol. Annoying man. Where was I? Going off on a tangent rant... The Haunting of Bly Manor is the latest of many adaptations of Henry James's ghost story Turn of the Screw. It's a classic work of literature that I've had on my geek radar for a while, but have not yet read, so this is a good introduction for me. I'm currently watching it, but apart from this snippet about the show... Do not expect me to talk about it to the degree of my upcoming review of Midnight Mass, also by Mike Flanagan, and starting right about now. Okay, I'm back. Had to take another break. This time because of external noises. I Had to wait for them to quiet down. If you're wondering why... The beginning of my show and the end of my show times differ very much from the running time of the show. This is why. Okay, before that break, I was just about to start the Midnight Mass review. Let us do that now. Let me start by introducing Midnight Mass. It is a seven-episode TV horror series created and directed by Mike Flanagan produced by Intrepid Pictures, and released on Netflix on the 24th of September 2021, two days before my birthday, although I just watched it a few days ago. Regarding Mike Flanagan, his filmography stretches back at least 20 years, and has included the film Oculus, and the TV series The Haunting of Hill House, both of which I enjoyed and talked about on this pod. Yes, even Oculus, which only got average ratings, I really enjoyed. He is also making a series based on Christopher Pike's The Midnight Club, and also another series based on Edgar Allan Poe's stories. I am a fan of both those authors, I have read the work of both those authors, and again, I have talked about them on this podcast. Just a little tangential trivia here. The YA horror author Christopher Pike's real name is Kevin Christopher McFadden. Now I'm going to tell you roughly the plot of Midnight Mass. And then I'll tell you what I thought. After serving a sentence for a fatal road traffic accident, a prodigal son returns to the family home in a remote fishing community on the sparsely populated island. On that island we have a deeply religious Roman Catholic community that was until recently led by an elderly priest until his sabbatical to Israel, and his replacement by a young and charismatic priest. The young priest brings with him to the island a heavy coffin-sized box, which, when knocked upon, elicits an answering knock. The priest quickly insinuates himself into the lives of his parishioners, and cements his standing with them by performing a miracle. You and me both know that there are no miracles, unless you include in this fictional universe the existence of vampires, which is the source of the priest's power. During the course of the series, the priest gathers followers, isolates the island, and prepares his disciples to spread forth the word and infection to the mainland, with only a few to oppose him. The series heads to a denouement familiar to connoisseurs of the genre. Bloodshed, running, screaming, and fire. All that fun stuff. Let's move on to what I thought. First of all, let's get this out of the way Right now, this film derives most of its lore from just about every vampire media ever produced. Here are some of the references, though I'm sure there are more. John Farris's Fiends Stephen King's Salem's Lot And the Night Flyer Bram Stoker's Dracula John Ajveed Lindquist's Let the Right One In 30 Days of Night, Blade, and tragic real events like the Jim Jones Kool-Aid Massacre. I found the way that the priest seemingly mistook the vampire for an angel. Interesting, I say seemingly because it all tends to fall apart towards the end when he almost dismisses the creature that he Brought to the Island, which sounds a bit out of sorts in the dialogue, doesn't seem to tie in with his earlier motivations. Diversity on the show was acceptable, and shown in the non-white faces in the crowd, extras mostly, but there was also a fairly realistic representation of minorities in the main cast. There is a Muslim sheriff, occasionally disparagingly referred to as Sharif after Omar Sharif, and it is not a compliment. There is a disabled girl, a lesbian doctor, and I must say, as a minority person, a brown person, who has occasionally found themselves in a similar situation to the sheriff. I found the uncomfortable scenarios, i.e. the blatant racism, accurate. I've already mentioned one problem with the way the priest's motivation seems to swing a completely different way towards the end. I'm now going to talk about, briefly, another problem which made the show less impactful for me. And that is, I did not like the religious and mostly bigoted islanders. Which meant I had a limited investment in their fate. Basically, I didn't like them enough that I stopped caring what would happen to them. And that kind of thing detracts from the overall drama. This is something I've mentioned numerous times. You need something to care about for you to have any stake in what you're watching or reading or playing. About the dialogue, I liked the talky dialogue, which is something I usually hate. That says a lot for the content and quality of Flanagan's team's writing. The priest's eloquent sermons and the protagonist's monologue about death are standout examples. Now let's get right to the thing, and that is the creature. The creature design was only average to poor. The creature's long clawed hands were ridiculous, as you could actually see the bulgy ill-fitting prosthetic fingertips On the other hand, that wasn't a pun. That really wasn't a pun. I'm sorry about that. The creature attack effects were excellent. I was thoroughly taken aback by the speed and ferocity with which the creature attacked. I wasn't so impressed by the creature's wings... And do you know what this reminded me of? What was that film, that horror film, with uh, the gender-bending flying creature thing? Oh. Splice. That was it. Splice. Yeah, the creature reminded me of the creature from Splice. While we're talking about effects, there's an annoying scene of the island on fire from a distance that is obviously a still. None of the flames are actually flickering at all. Damn those budgets. Damn them. Although I've already mentioned a few things that don't make sense, let's talk about some more stuff that doesn't make sense. Why would that vampire creature which the priests found hiding out in a cave in the populous Holy Land, bordering many other countries, find it advantageous to move to an isolated island in the middle of nowhere from whence to start its invasion. It makes no sense at all. Also, with all that power and aeons of experience, Why isn't the vampire creature running the whole shebang? Why isn't it in charge of the whole show? Is this particular immortal an idiot? It would have to be an idiot to want to move to Redneck Island. Finally, what do vampires hate? Well, oh dear me, I'm a vampire, the sunrise is deadly to my kind, but there are no buildings to hide under. Whatever am I to do? Seriously, does this stupid island not come equipped with shovels? Or gardening tools? Or anything pointy with which to dig the earth? I mean, it's a whole thing about vampires. You dig them up, don't you? It's a whole part of the law, the trope. I don't know what happened there. There were a couple of shock moments that I enjoyed. They were nothing as cheap as jump scares, which annoy me. Those shock moments are points at which the whole narrative pivots. I'll give you an example of that. There are times when key characters, including the protagonist, die unexpectedly. I did like that. I like to feel off-balance and off-kilter, but I don't like feeling that I'm being manipulated by someone jumping up behind me and shouting boo. I want my horror to be a little deeper. In conclusion then, as an item of horror media, I found the series to be engaging though not something I feel I need to revisit any time in the future. I saw it, I enjoyed it, I'm happy to leave it behind. I do find myself fortunate, though, that after box-setting the whole series over about two nights, I now see... Midnight Mass more as a philosophical and spiritual musing on the process of death, rather than strictly a horror TV show encompassing every vampire trope ever. You see this musing in a couple of monologues on the subject of death from both the protagonist and his love interest. One of those monologues in particular, by the protagonist, is a rationalist, science-based explanation that is nevertheless beautifully, poetically purple. Mike and James Flanagan and the whole writing team are to be complimented. To a lesser extent, the show is also about Christian fundamentalism, particularly Christian evangelism, but it is the meditation on death that snagged me in its net. Oh boy, there is a lot of traffic out there today. Where was I? Okay, those are my conclusions. Now on to some trivia. I was going to compliment solely Mike Flanagan for the script because I was so impressed by the script and he is credited as the writer, creator and director. But in a tweet from him dated the 23rd of September, he thanks a team that includes his brother and other writers. This was confirmed by a visit to IMDb. That does make me wonder about the source of the incredible monologues. Were they from Mike Flanagan? Or is there one or more particular writers producing this amazing content? Usually I don't get too into the depths of who wrote exactly what, because I'm more interested in the holistic overall story but because I'm a writer myself, I felt drawn to the unique dialogue of this series. In that same tweet thread, he also mentions the respect he has for religion, presumably Roman Catholicism, despite the scathing portrayal of the most unpleasant character on the show, a character called Bev Keane, played highly unpleasantly, but effectively, by Samantha Sloyan. Because of my rather unique upbringing, I would say I was a combo of Ali, the son of the sheriff, and Warren. That is a non-Christian server in the Church of England, until it became too weird to continue... I have great familiarity with all the ceremony and the -the behind-the-scenes mechanics of running a church. I also remember the content and the cadence of the priests droning sermons, the hymns, the artless Sunday school-style piano playing, Sunday school for vampires... That's not at all relevant, I just liked the sound of that, so I wrote it down in my show notes. The whole show left me with an odd sense of conflicted nostalgia that was probably something uniquely felt by myself because of that strange upbringing. As a Canadian citizen and ex-resident of British Columbia, the British Columbia filming locations struck me with a little nostalgia as well. In this case, I dug around a bit and found out that the set for the island Town was built in Gary Point Park, Richmond, British Columbia. But then, as we know, many American shows and movies are filmed in BC because it's cheap, and you get to pay less tax. While I appreciate the business of film needs help to continue, I always have mixed feelings about giving tax breaks to movie productions. Maybe concentrate on the small indie productions instead. And that is it for my review of Midnight Mass. I enjoyed the show. It twanged some parts of me that haven't been reached in quite a while. I was quite impressed by the portrayal of the priest. I'm guessing that actor is really a brilliant actor, the guy who played the priest, or... He has some inside knowledge of either going to church or something like that. I remember sometime in the show there's a point where the priest gets really angry about trying to explain faith to someone, which I found interesting. It's not something you find very often in stereotypical religious types. Who seemed all fired up with enthusiasm for religion without really understanding on a fundamental level what that means? I was thinking about this earlier today. You see, the show has really struck something in me. I was thinking about how, because of my background, it was suggested that maybe I consider being a Hindu priest, a pundit, it took me all of five minutes to decide that that definitely wasn't for me. Not just because I'm not a very religious person, but also because people don't take into account what that really means. Being a priest, as well as the ceremony and the prestige and all the trappings of that stuff, also means that you have to counsel people at the worst times of their life. You have to do religious ceremonies at funerals. It's not all a walk in the park. Walk in the park? That's a terrible metaphor. It makes no sense, but I couldn't think of anything offhand. And that is it. Perhaps I should stop talking now. I should definitely stop talking now. My bones are cracking and creaking. You probably heard a few pots. Those were my joints. So let me wrap this up now. That was my review of Midnight Mass. I would recommend the show. It's not perfect, but it is superior horror that works on a deeper level as well. The show that you just listened to is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Mator, a writer. Mator is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at roymator.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen. Recommend it to a friend or enemy, or click on the contact or support link on the website. Thanks for tuning in to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the annoyingly titled UK Geek Podcast. This was episode four hundred and thirteen, recorded on Thursday the eleventh of november twenty twenty one, but ending on Friday the twelfth of november twenty twenty one at zero zero forty seven fifty three. Thanks for listening, everyone, and bye-bye for now. Bye! I have anthropomorphised him. I have anthropomorphised I I have made him a person.